Uh, so this morning, as some of you know, we're launching into a new series that's going to be about six weeks long, and the, the series is simply titled Voice, The Power You Already Possess. This is a concept that I've actually been thinking about for months and months and months now, and, and so for me to talk about this uh, is, is something that I've kind of been giddy about for a while. And the way that we're kind of formatting this series is today I, I want to talk about where these ideas come from and why I think the concepts of what we're talking about over the next six weeks are so important. But then more than just uh, me talking... Every single week, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about, okay, here's where these ideas come from. And then next week, starting next week, and then the next multiple weeks, we're going to invite other people to bring their voice and their thoughts around the specific use of voice in different areas, whether it's art or our community or politics or sharing our story, uh, whatever it is that we would, that we would all kind of hear from other people about what does our voice mean and how do we bring our voice because it's a power we already possess. I think most of us understand we have a voice. We hold a voice. But it's something that I don't know that we actually understand what it is. And for me, a lot of this thinking comes out of a story uh, that's found in the Gospel of Mark that maybe many of you have heard of before. And it's something that honestly is kind of a weird, goofy story when we really look at it. But for me, the more that I kind of dove into this and tried to understand what was happening, I, it, it just kind of started to really fascinate me and, and blow my mind in a lot of ways. It's this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And, G, and they're headed into Jerusalem. It's towards the end of the story of Christ in Mark's narrative. And they're going back and forth. They're not staying overnight in Jerusalem. They're just spending the days there. And they're leaving and spending the night somewhere else. And then they come back into the city the next day. So it's like you stay on the... You, hang out on the Vegas trip, Strip, and then you go find a hotel that's much cheaper outside of the Vegas Strip, and then you go back to the Vegas Strip. Four of you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so that's essentially what's happening, okay? And here's the moment in Mark that we find. It says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Why? For it was not the season for figs. And Jesus said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And that's the story. Do we all, let's just all reflect on the power and beauty of that story, right? This was always a really fascinating thing for me, especially as a kid. Because Jesus was always this Gentile, like really calm, you know, quiet individual. I had a sheep on his shoulders most of the time in these stories in my imagination. And here's Jesus in this moment. And he's hangry, like he is not happy with what's going on in his life. And he goes up to this fig tree because he's hungry and the, and the tree does not have figs and he curses the fig tree. Now, for, for some of you, it's just like, okay, well, he's really angry and hungry. So for me, the question is, okay, is this just like, we're, we, we all have license now because the Son of God has been become hangry, that we can all be like Christ and be hangry. If you're hungry, it's okay to get angry and curse things. Is that the moral of the story? Is this just the story about Jesus? The all-knowing Son of God doesn't understand how trees work. <laughs> that Yes, there can be leaves on the trees, but that doesn't mean there's always going to be fruit, Jesus. Like, calm down, buddy. It's okay. What's this story doing? And for me, the fascinating thing that we've got to recognize is the storyteller, Mark, chooses to end this tag with, and his disciples heard it. There's something there. Because what we know is that there's a few more paragraphs in between this and what happens next. There's other things that take place within the story. But a few paragraphs down, verses down in the text on Mark, we find this 
thing pick up, and this is what happens. It says, as they passed by in the morning, this is the next day, they, Christ's disciples, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So the disciples have noticed something. And Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Let's leave that up for a second. So here's this weird story at the beginning about Jesus getting hangry at a fig tree and cursing it. And then the story gets weirder because the next day the disciples are passing by and the fig tree is actually withered. And here's where things get fascinating. Because Peter, Christ's follower, one of the disciples, is the one that notices and says, Hey, Jesus, there's something really funky that's going on here. You spoke something and the thing that you spoke actually happened. What we know is that Jesus and his followers are a part of a culture, particularly within the Jewish tradition, that there are elite few individuals that can speak and those things come to be. And whether that's known as a prophet, a religious leader, that there are people that, again, very few people have this mantle on them, that they can speak and it comes to be. Or whether there's someone in power. What we know is that Jesus and his followers, as Jewish people, are under the foot of the Roman Empire and the Roman government. And what we know is they are not individuals that get to determine and get to dictate their life, their beliefs, the way that they're going to go about things. But there is this organization and mainly this person, Caesar on top, and it's his word. It's what he wants and what he says. That's what happens. And they are simply at the bottom watching the world be dictated to them. And so here is this moment that seems so subtle, but I think is so profound and important. Where Jesus' followers say, hey, wait a minute. The thing that you said, Jesus, it actually happened. And what's really fascinating and important to me is the way that Jesus doesn't just take this recognition and go, yeah, you're right, because I'm the son of God. What up? Jesus doesn't respond with good job. What does Jesus do? He chooses to turn it and say, yes. And that is the same power that you possess and hold on to. Jesus is acknowledging and understanding the disciples see it as a crazy thing that there would be somebody that would speak something and it would come to be, that their words and voice would have power. And Jesus chooses to take it up a notch and say, yes, and your voice, it can move mountains. It can forgive. It can ask and see things come to be. Do not, Jesus is saying, do not see this as something that's just unique and rare and crazy that happened for me, but this is something that you are invited to be a part of as well. When I was in fifth grade, I remember we were having our music class, and, and the way the music classes happened in my elementary school is a music teacher would come into our classroom and teach us music, and many times it involved sticks or rubbing sandpaper together, all those kinds of things that were really beautiful. I loved music class. I grew up in a musical family, but there was this moment in fifth grade <coughs> where the teacher invited us to stand up individually and all sing a certain song that we all knew by heart, but she invited us to all take a turn singing the song. 
Now, as someone that grew up in a musical family, I was really excited for the spotlight to be on me because I had grown up singing songs my entire life. And so for me, this was the moment that I had been born and bred for, okay? To stand up in front of the crowd and let them hear those Blakeslee pipes, if you will. And so it came to my turn and I stood up and there was no spotlight, there was no platform, but if you would have asked me, there was a spotlight and everybody was kind of looking up in that moment, wondering where the, the light of God was coming from because it was a beautiful moment. I sang my heart out, believing there was something special what was happening there. So I sang, sat down, someone else's turn. She went around the whole class and it was kind of this moment for me of like, well, that was weird, but okay, that was fine. We did it, we got through it. <laughs> and then I go home. We get home and we're sitting around the dinner table that night and my younger brother, Aaron, is around the dinner table as well. And we're all having the conversation that we had. How was your day? What happened? And my younger brother Aaron goes, yeah, it was pretty great, Dad. Uh, in music class today, uh, the teacher had to sing a song. And after I was done singing, the teacher came up to me and said, hey, would you want to be a part of Boys Honor Choir? And so my, he brought home this slip. And there was a slip for my parents to sign to say, yes, Aaron could be a part of Boys Honor Choir. And instantaneously, I knew, oh, that's what was happening. And instantaneously, I knew he made it, and I didn't. And I had to spend the next two years going to Boys Honor Choir concerts where I was watching my brother. And I, I, I kid you not, it sounds silly, but I, I'm sitting there in Lincoln Center in Billings, Montana, listening to my brother and a bunch of other kids, many of them from my class, and thinking, they have it. I don't. They get the spotlight, they get the stage, they made the cut, my voice did not. I had moments of thinking like, do I need to go back to the teacher and say like, I didn't know it was a tryout, can I try again? Like I'll tone it down a little bit this time, I promise. You know, I won't do actions with the song, whatever it was that I was doing. Like I wanna be a part of this, but there was something inside of me that knew. No, no, my voice doesn't belong on that stage. And as much as I resented the people that were already on there, I believed, okay, this is who I am. Later in high school, started to play guitar, started to be invited to, to sing and play, particularly in church environments. And, and I kid you not, it was a big, big deal for me to get up in front of a room full of people and to choose to sing a song. And people would come up to me afterwards and be like, oh man, you have such a beautiful voice. First time I ever sang in front of people was at a wedding and people would come up, man, your voice, it's awesome, it's awesome. And I did not believe them. I couldn't believe them because I knew that there was a moment when the right voices, they got the platform and I was not one of those voices. All of us have experienced moments like that. Where there, we live in a culture and we live in a world where we see and recognize that there are certain people that they get the platform, they get the microphone, and I'm not one of them. There are certain people that are great motivational speakers, and when they say something, they get the crowd stirring, and everybody's exciting and celebrating, like, woo, let's go, let's do it. And I'm not one of them. There are certain people in power that when they say, everybody, everybody jumps up and wants to do what that person is asked, and I'm not one of them. All of us understand and have sensed and felt that we have a voice but many of us know the feeling of, but my voice, it doesn't matter as much as their voice. My voice doesn't motivate, stir, or see things happen like theirs. And so many of us, if not all of us, have spent our lives, I believe, taking this thing that Jesus is pointing at 
and saying, it can move mountains. And we remove ourselves from the equation, saying, maybe him and maybe her, but not me. What I believe that Jesus is doing in this moment is he's inviting his disciples to see, okay, there's a culture around you that is saying, yeah, you're under the foot of Rome, and yeah, you're a part of this religious system that says there's only certain people that their voice matters, but that's not true. And Jesus is inviting them to step out of that culture and to see that there's something true about their humanity and who they are as human beings that they cannot forget. And for me, one of those moments that we talk about all the time, but I just keep coming back to over and over and over again, is the very beginning of this book, this text, this story of Scripture. In Genesis 1.1, it starts out like this. Many of us know how it begins. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, spoke, voice, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now, what's so important to note about this story? This story comes a couple thousand years old now, out of a culture centered around Babylon. And what we know is there's multiple creation myths and stories that are taking place. And many of these creation myths and stories that families and traditions and tribes are handing down deal with gods in conflict and say, this is where the earth comes from. It comes from a split. It comes from destruction. It comes from someone tearing it all down, and it's out of that that we see the world as it is. Creation stories, narratives, where did we all come from? And the main story that we hear with all of these cultures is its destruction, its conflicts, its war. That's what moves the story forward. And it's in the midst of all of these different stories that this Jewish narrative, this Jewish story starts to arise. And it says, no. Creativity is not found out of destruction and war and conflict, not out of power grabs. It's found in a voice. That the narrative of the Jewish culture, creation narrative, is one that says this, words create worlds. And where many of us look at the world around us and are working to bring a creative work to that, to our relationships, to our family, whatever it is, we can start to hear all the narratives around us. It's war, it's conflict, it's power, it's destruction. These are the things that get us what we want. And here is this narrative that continues to speak and resonate with me. No, words, words create worlds. I find it increasingly fascinating. Again, we've looked at it over and over and over again. But there's this moment, the first time we see a problem in God's creation in the creation narrative. The first problem that we find is this, it's in Genesis chapter 2. And it's this, then God, the Lord God said, it is not good, problem, sound the alarm, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so here is the solution. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call, voice, speak about and to them. And whatever the man called, how he used his voice, every living creature, that was its name. The same thing we see God do at the beginning of this story. Words create worlds is the same invitation that we see the man be brought into. Use your voice and create whatever you speak. It will be. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And what takes place? The man continues this creative work. Next slide and says, this voice, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
There's something about our humanity, I believe, that we are invited to see in Genesis and Jesus is working to remind his followers of in Mark. Your voice has power and words create worlds. And you and I all have the same tendency to spend our time and energy looking at everybody else around us and making excuses and reasons for why their voice matters and ours does not. I, found it, I find it so fascinating that the first problem that we see within the scriptures is not solved by technology. It's not solved by having more of something and more money. It's not solved by conflict or war. The first problem we see solved is one where a voice is brought. The reason this thing, this idea of voice continues to resonate with me, and it's something I've been thinking about, is because all of us know and sense what it's like to live in a world where things are not okay. And whatever side of anything that you find yourself on, there's a tension, there's a disconnect from what we want, what we hope for, and what we see, what we experience and feel. And many of us, we spend our lives either just sitting on the sidelines or maybe spinning our wheels, trying to figure out what do we do, what do we do, what do we do. And yes, there's a lot to do. But I believe there's a fundamental element of your humanity, of my humanity, that your voice matters. Your unique hopes, dreams, visions, beliefs, ideas, and thoughts, they matter. And they are a creative force in this world. And a culture that says, no, it does not, sit down, shut up, why bother? Because there's someone that has a lot more money and a lot bigger platform and way, many, way more followers than you. So just let them do the speaking. Is to deny an element and a part of your humanity. And I'm not okay with that for my life. And I think for us as a community and I hope for you as an individual, individual, that you would not be okay with that as well. Your voice matters. Your story matters. And so we work to live out the fullness of our humanity by seeing the power of our voice. Now, I want to be really honest. I understand how this can sound really out there. If you just want something, you just got to speak it, and then it just comes to being, everybody. Let's just practice speaking it. I understand, at least that's the voice in my head. Some of you totally disconnected there, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but for me, I understand how it can feel like this weird mumbo-jumbo kind of thing. But for me, I think there's some really practical work to be done in the power and the use of your voice. And for me, it revolves around three things as we close. That if we're going to see the power of our voice, first and foremost, next slide, We've got to worry about our location. We've got to think about our location. Where are you bringing your voice? Now, this might sound silly, but the question is, where are you physically placing yourself and bringing your voice? Because what I believe and what we know is that your voice in a physical location is what matters more than anything else. What we know from science is that our brain is constantly and consistently evaluating the surroundings around us and asking the question, what kind of threat level are we at? Are we at threat level zero or threat level midnight? What's going on around me? It's an evolutionary trait of our brain. So we're in the wilderness. We, our brain is scanning the environment. There's a charging bear, threat level midnight. And so our brain is doing everything in that moment to evaluate surroundings and say, okay, this is what we've got to do to continue to survive and to be safe. 
And what we know is that our brain responds to physical attack and physical danger on the same level that it responds to social attack and social danger. So where our brain is looking around, always scanning our surroundings. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I okay? I'm not safe. I'm not okay. And we start to respond to that on a physical level. We do the same thing. I'm not safe. I'm not okay. This person is attacking. This person is belittling. I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. Our brain kicks into high gear on the same level that it would with an attacking bear. And what we know is that the things that influence the way that our brain is choosing to interact in the world is way more than just words. But communication is found when all five senses are being engaged. So yes, you're hearing some words or you're reading some words, but it's also physical cues, seeing and watching the way someone is speaking and talking, physical cues from the way someone is touching us. If they're touching us, are they not touching us? What do we smell? What other senses are being engaged? All of those senses are informing our brain. You're safe. You're okay. This is good. You can believe this person or not. This is communication. And what we know is that physical cues and other senses other than just the auditory what we hear or just visually what we read, they actually can overpower what we read or what we hear. So you could have someone who says, I'm not angry. And you're in that room and in that environment, and they have a calm voice. They have a gentle touch. They just they look you in the eye. Hey, man, I'm not angry. And there's this part of you, your brain, even independent of the words used, that your brain will process and go, this is okay. This is okay. Because it's using all the senses. You could take the other side of the coin that someone could say, hey, man, I'm not angry. And they're grabbing you, and it's this, your brain is going to hear those words, I'm not angry, but your brain is going to trump whatever's said and whatever you're reading, and it's going to interpret it as, no, this dude's angry, threat level midnight, something's happening here. We live in a world, and we live in a day, where the majority of our communication is done through text. Whether it's a text on a phone, whether it's text on a social media stream, whether it's text we're reading about the news of the day. And what we know is that our brains, when they're interacting with something, like just text, where it can engage all the other senses to figure out, am I okay? Is this okay? Is this right? Is this wrong? It's going to fill in the gaps. And we don't even know when or how it's filling in the gaps. So you could be reading the text of someone who's trying to say something incredibly loving and gracious and kind, but we're not there to hear the tone of voice, to see their face, to watch them interact. And our brain is going to fill it in. And we could have eaten bad Chinese food. We could have had a bad interaction with them last year that all of a sudden is flavoring the way that we're reading those words. And all of a sudden, we've got a social media thread filled with, how could you? You're the worst. You're awful. You're horrible. And the person's like, I was just trying to say something nice. And that's what we call a Monday. <laughs> It happens over and over and over and over and over again. I believe that your voice matters. And I think for it to matter, we've got to see that physical location must be present. Okay. Thanks, man. I think that there's a reality that many of us understand and sense that we... We want our voice to be heard, 
And so we spend so much time and energy trying to be heard through a text, trying to be heard through social media. And our voice is not being heard because there's so much more to communication. There's so much more to your voice than just words on a screen. So I think the first thing that we got to ask is, where are you physically placing yourself? And some of us know what it's like to be physically present in a room with people, but not present in a room because you're too busy bringing your voice on social media or that thread or whatever it is over there. And you're not actually bringing your voice with friends, family, the people that are right around you. So you've got to ask the question, am I physically present here? Am I bringing my voice here? This thing called CMRK on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings is what that's all about that you would work to bring your voice physically to a space because your voice matters. The second thing that I think matters when it comes to our voice, if we're really going to see this happen, is language. What are you speaking to others and the world around you? Now, it kind of goes without saying, you know, if you're not going to say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Many of us remember that from Bambi, I hope. (laughs) But there's this interaction that we must understand That if our words really matter and our voice really matters, then we have to ask the question, okay, what words am I actually bringing? Words create worlds, and so you can spend your entire life bringing destruction. You You can create that. You can complain, and you can be frustrated and angry and continue to attack and attack and attack. That is a choice and a power that you have of your voice. But the question is, if you're trying to create a more beautiful world and see things move forward, What language are you using? What words are you bringing to the people around you? Do you believe that they matter? We live in a culture where our leaders consistently bring words to things that are just really, really messed up on a lot of levels. And we watch and continue to potentially believe it doesn't matter what you say because there's going to be something crazy said the next day and something crazy said the next day. Now, what I believe is your words do matter. Your voice matters. And so what are you actually speaking to those around you? What kind of world are you creating around you by the words you're bringing? And last but not least, I believe to listen. Are you hearing the voice of others? If you really believe, if a theology is informed that says this is a part of our humanity, your voice, then I believe that we live that out not just by choosing to bring our voice physically present spaces, but in that work that we listen to others as well because we all are on the same page. We're all on the same plane. And so where the potential is for, to walk into a room and for some of us to see someone wearing a Make America Great hat again and all of a sudden all we want to do is put them in some kind of category and put their voice in a certain category. If we really believe this to be true, then the work is to listen and to hear And to try to understand. You might not agree, but their voice has power. We don't just belittle it. Or maybe it's the other side. Someone who is, uh, you know, touting democratic socialism. And so there's this thing of like, man, no, that's that's not okay. And there's this part of you that wants to attack, wants to belittle, wants to come. Okay, is there's this part of you that's willing to say, no, their voice matters. And I need to hear and I need to listen. And rather than just saying, nope, 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 I need to understand, okay. Okay, there's a creative work that their voice brings because it's in that, that giving and receiving that we actually live this theology and this belief out. <clears throat> there's this moment um, towards, the life of, towards the end of the life of Christ. It's in the book of John 
where Jesus is interacting with his disciples and he comes to this table and he begins to break bread and share this cup. And part of this conversation for Jesus is to say, okay, I'm inviting you to be a part of something here. This isn't about just me always being here present on this level, but I'm, I'm actually inviting you to live a different way in this world. And there's this, this moment, again, it's probably something that maybe you've interacted with before, but I find it so fascinating when we look at actually what's happening around this table. That Jesus, in the book of John, he says this to his disciples. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask, again, bring your voice. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here's what's fascinating about this. There's this line of, okay, you've seen some great works. You're about to see works that are even greater. The question that we must ask is, okay, so what were the great works that the disciples had seen? By far, the biggest thing that Jesus did was he brought his voice. He spoke. And whether it was speaking healing and life, speaking forgiveness, whether it was speaking a new way to interact with the world and people and stuff around it, it was his voice. And so what is Jesus doing in this moment? Use your voice. That the greater things, I believe, comes when there are communities of people, groups of people that believe that our voice matters and that we work to live out a more beautiful way by bringing our voice to the table and not just believing, no, I'm under the foot of somebody or that's just reserved for certain elite people. That at the very center of this meal has been this invitation. You've read, you've heard, you've seen some incredible things, yes. But this invitation is to take of this bread and drink of this cup. It's all of the same loaf. It's all of the same cup to believe that we are all a part of this together and that our voice, your voice, matters here. And so as always, we're going to play a song and just invite you to come and be a part of this meal, to be a part of taking a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup. And as, as silly as bread and grape juice might sound on a Sunday evening, for us, it's just a reminder that there's something ancient and older than any of us that we're invited to lean into together, to be a part of together. It could matter for our lives and could matter for this world. As you do that tonight, we're just going to throw some questions on the screen, maybe for you to ponder and ask. Your voice is a power you already possess. Do you believe that? Are you bringing it somewhere physically to spaces? Are you listening? Are you caring about the words that you speak? Whenever you're ready, feel free to come forward and receive. God, um, some of us, I believe, don't even um, potentially know our own voice. We don't, we don't know what uh, potentially we have to say or the creative work that we bring to the world because we've spent so much time and energy continuing to belittle our voice, belittle our story, maybe propping up other people's stories and voices. And tonight, this table and this bread and this cup is, I believe, an invitation for all of us to once again step into the fullness of our humanity that our voice matters. And so we go this week and we look for spaces that we can physically find our voice present. We spend our energy there, not trying to fight a losing battle somewhere else, but to physically put ourselves in spaces with people of need, 
where there's spaces we want to bring creativity, life and light, what's good, true and beautiful there, and that there's a focus and an energy there. Now, for some of us, it's a focus on what we're actually saying. We know what it's like to tear down. We know what it's like to complain. But to use our voice as a, a work of creativity in life. And for others of us, it's the work of listening. Um, we have belittled the voices of others around us. And so, God, my hope is that we will be a community, individuals that can hear whoever they are and wherever they come from because their voice matters as well. We love you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. We say it together. Amen. Hey, as you go tonight, uh, just a reminder about um, the core community sign-up cards. If for whatever reason that's something you're interested in, we'd love it. Again, our hope, more voices at the table, more voices at the table, uh, that you would be a part of that uh, as well. Next week, I'm so excited, uh, we're going to be having uh, the lovely Caitlin Cromwell with us uh, as she does so much work around the state uh, dealing with uh, communities and communities bringing their voice to issues and problems that are happening uh, there uh, in their specific community. Uh, Caitlin's going to be sharing what it's like to bring your voice to your community and how do we do that. And uh, so I'm so fascinated to learn and to hear from her and hear her story as well. So I hope you can make it next week. It's going to be really, really great and awesome. Uh, and I do quickly want to mention, because I forgot, uh, well, wait, we didn't meet last week. There are some job openings that we have uh, for us as CMYK. Um, as we try to get better at doing this thing and bring more voices to the table, one of the things that we need is just more hands kind of helping us uh, some of the inner workings of this thing called CMYK. So if for whatever reason, they're all part-time. Uh, they're, all, they're all only a few hours a week. So if for whatever reason, maybe you're looking for some auxiliary income or the opportunity to be a part of this on a, on a bigger, deeper level, uh, we'd ask uh, we've got some job descriptions in the back there that you can grab one of those, and uh, we're going to keep those ap the application process open for a couple weeks. Um, so by all means, feel free to pick one of those up, peruse it, ask questions, and we'd love it. Be honored if you'd be interested in being a part of our staff as well as you step potentially more into the community. So love you guys. Feel free to hang out, have a beer or two, and uh, we hope to see you next week. Thanks.